So guys, before you uh, start recording the message, um, I'm going to wait for the children to... We had one just taking her time, <laughs> and now she's out. Okay, so um, it is really unfortunate that our world has become a, uh, much less safe, and, um, and so places of worship um, need to also make sure that we're doing... Um, due diligence and making sure. Okay, I'm going to wait for Ken to hit that button, (laughs) and we are going to get into the Word today. Give me the thumbs up when you're ready, Ken. All right, here we go. All right, come on, let's pray together and let's get into God's Word. Father, thank you for the power of the living Word of God that changes our hearts and our minds and gives us your perspectives on life. We welcome you, Holy Spirit, you are the teacher, to fill our hearts and our minds, fill this place, and transform us by the power of the living word. Everybody said amen. Amen. So last week, I taught a message um, called, um, what was it? (laughs) Obstacles or opportunities. Every day as we are on this side of the of heaven you're going to run into things that are obstacles and it is a choice to look at them as opportunities and so we looked at david and goliath and looked at that massive obstacle he was up against but he did not see it as an obstacle not one iota not one moment not one blip in the screen of his mind did he see goliath as an obstacle he saw it as an opportunity because he knows he's walking with the living God. So are you, right where you live, right in your marriage, right in your occupation, right in your neighborhood. You are walking with the living God. So may we graduate to the kind of faith that King David had, even as a teenager, to where we will truly be people of faith so that when there is an obstacle and we run up into it or it runs up into us, Our first thought is it's an opportunity for God not to slay a giant. Against that backdrop, I want to slay a giant with you today. It's a giant that I have seen in our culture that is pervasive. And it is uh, is destroying lives. I've been wanting to teach on this for a while. So I'm glad that today gives me the opportunity to do that. And I want us to identify this giant, and I want us to get out our sword today together and slay it. This giant is a mean one. It robs us of our joy and our peace, our health and our wealth, our relationships, our self-worth, our focus, our contentment, And God's unique calling on your life. Just take a stab at it. What giant do you think I might be talking about? Fear Fear is a big one. I'll give you a hint. It's one of the seven deadly sins. Ooh, that's in my message. Yeah, comparison falls under... This giant, that's one of its weapons, one of this giant's spear or the sword is comparison. Huh? Say it. Envy. 
Envy. This monster's green. It's a little illustrated sermon here. It only goes as far as the shirt, I mind you, because I've never experienced envy ever in my life. So, Other than when I first pioneered this church and I'm driving down the road and I see New Hope Church and I see they're building up on a hill and I saw it and all of a sudden, before I could catch myself, I started imagining... I had this movie playing in my head that their church started to decrease and they couldn't pay the mortgage and they didn't know what they were going to do and the pastor wanted to go do something else and they were looking for a pastor in the region that needed a church and be willing to take that building and of course it was me. That my friends is called envy. And I caught myself, and I'm like, that is so ungodly that I would want the demise of somebody else so I could have what is theirs. That's called envy. I know none of you have ever experienced that. I'm I'm confessing my own sin to you today. The definition of envy is this. A feeling of discontented or resentful longing aroused. Everybody say aroused. It gets aroused by someone else's possessions, qualities, or luck. A feeling of ill will because of another's advantages. A resentful dislike of another who has something that one desires. The verb is a desire to have a quality, possession, or other desirable attributes belonging to someone else. This is different than jealousy. Jealousy uh, is a fear that you're going to lose something that you already have to someone else. Like you see your boyfriend with another girl, or your girlfriend with another guy, or your husband talking to a lady and vice versa. Jealousy, the definition is a very watchful or careful guarding or keeping. So envy is wanting something that somebody else has, and jealousy is the fear of losing something you already have. Today we're talking about envy. We're going to look in the Bible. Uh, Well, I want you to know that as we're describing envy, I'm only describing it so that we know what giant we're going to slay together today. Faith is not afraid to describe the mountain. I was raised in a a movement where you're not allowed to have any negative confessions because uh, they taught that if you speak Uh, describe the mountain, the mountain gets bigger. I, at this point in my walk, find that is really more fear-driven than faith-driven. Because, and I also found that I could not share my fears with my friends because that would be a negative confession, which means you never get to see into me, into me see, into me see. Which means you can't, one, empathize with me love me, care for me, and then partner with me to blow that mountain into the sea. So what I've, and I see this with the Psalms and King David, he's very transparent and vulnerable. What I have, now the way I walk is I I just let those who I trust and are closest to me see all the way into me and share my burdens and know my fears and my weaknesses, just like I just confessed to you my envy. 
because then you know what to pray about so that we can win together. Amen? So, uh, we're going to look at five antidotes to envy today. That's our sword. And each one of the, the sword has, is a, it's got blades on it. And one of these blades might be the blade you can use to chop down envy in your life. You're going to identify with one antidote that you can use or more. But I want us to look at where envy first is aroused in the Bible. So let's go to Genesis chapter 1. And we're going to read verses 1. And I said 15, uh, Mike, but we're going to go through 16. So we're going to read this together. Now, Adam had sexual relations with his wife Eve, and she became pregnant. When she gave birth to Cain, she said, with the Lord's help, I have produced a man. Later, she gave birth to his brother and named him Abel. When they grew up, Abel became a shepherd while Cain cultivated the ground. When it was time for the harvest, Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. That's the key phrase right there. He gave some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. And Abel also brought a gift, the best portion. Everybody say best portions. Okay, now this is not a sermon on offering, nor am I going to drill down into why the Lord was displeased with Cain's offering um, and and accepted Abel's. That kind of sets up uh, um, Cain's arousal of envy, but it's not what the teaching is about. But it is important to see that, you know, because it seems unfair, unjust, or harsh on God's end, if you don't understand what was going on here, that Cain was taking his offerings flippantly. He was just kind of like giving God some leftovers. He just brought some of his grain offering to the Lord as a gift. But in contrast, um, Abel brought the best portions of the firstborn lambs. That's what the tithe is. The tithe isn't the last 10%. It's not some. It's not 3%. It's not 7%. The Lord said he wants 10%. So, and, and the first 10%. Because he wants to be first. And it's not about him. It's about our hearts. It's about cutting the root of greed and covetousness and fear and the fear of provision. You cut that, that root of that covetousness when you tithe to the Lord. It's worship. You say, God, you're my source. You're first. That's what, that's what the tithe's all about. And so the Lord wasn't pleased with his offering because he was just flippant. And he obviously had a heart condition because we're going to read. Uh, that's brought out clearly by the passage. Abel also brought a gift, the best portions of the firstborn lambs from his flock. The Lord accepted Abel and his gift, but he did not accept Cain and his gift. This made Cain very angry. Anger is a sign. It's an emotion given to us by God to let us know something's not right. It's like, the, it's like the check engine light that goes on the dashboard in your car. It's a really good idea to check your engine when that goes on. Um, Cain didn't check himself before he wrecked himself. He should, have, he should have recognized the anger in the inside of him and said, Hey, wait a minute, what's going on inside of me? Why am I angry? He didn't do that. And he looked dejected. Why are you so angry? I love the way the Lord will ask us questions. It's not like the Lord didn't know. The Lord disciples us through questions. He asked Cain, he asked, he asked Adam, where are you? It wasn't like the Lord couldn't find him. Jesus, they had asked him a question. He'd say, well, I'm going to ask you a question. Um, the Lord very often disciples us through questions. And so he asked Cain, uh, why are you so angry? It would have been great for Cain to stop and contemplate that, saying, hmm, you're right, I am, aren't I? But he didn't do that. Why do you look so dejected? 
You will be accepted if you do what is right, but if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. The Lord's warning him. He's trying to help him. He's trying to father him. Watch out, Cain, because sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you. That anger that's in your heart, pay attention to it, Cain. Because that is, that is the precursor to sin. It's just ready to jump on you and control you. So the Lord's warning him, and he's warning us today. Exactly. Uh-oh. For those on the listening online, you did not hear, out of the mouths of babes and infants, an infant just said, uh-oh. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you. Family of God, we've got to be, we've got to be uh, paying attention to what's going on inside of our hearts. But you must subdue it and be its master. Like when I felt envy driving down the road and seeing my colleagues building as I, you may have heard me say uh, before, because I got a hold of that envy, he and I have become best friends, and I get to use his building for free. Isn't that better? <laughs> he pays the bills, and we just use the building. One day, Cain suggested to his brother, see, he didn't process. He didn't go to Sozo and let Rick Higgins and his team get that nastiness out of the inner soul. And so instead of processing that anger, it turned into envy. And it says, one day Cain suggested to his brother, let's go into the fields. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother, Abel, and killed him. People will be driven by envy to murder, steal, covet, control, manipulate, rob. All of us are susceptible to this. We're all human. None of us are Jesus. We all got to be careful. After the Lord asked... Afterward, the Lord asked Cain, here goes another question, where's your brother? Where's Abel? I don't know, Cain responded. Clearly has an attitude problem and has taken him all the way down the dark road to death. Am I my brother's guardian? Now he's got an attitude toward God. He's mouthing off like a teenager to a parent. But the Lord said, sorry, I have five teenagers at home. What have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Envy took it all the way down to the end of that dead-end road. Now you are cursed. This is the fruit of envy if you let it grow. Now you are cursed and banished from the ground, which has swallowed your brother's blood. No longer will the ground yield crops for you, no matter how hard you work. When envy grabs a hold of you, it will suck you under, and everything you do will be counterproductive. All your relationships, your mental peace is gone, your joy is gone. You're completely unclear about what your calling is and what you're supposed to be doing, hearing the voice of the Lord. From now on, you will be a homeless wanderer on the earth. Cain replied to the Lord, My punishment is too great for me to bear. You have banished me from the land and from your presence. You have made me a homeless wanderer. Anyone who finds me will kill me. The Lord replied, no, for I will give a sevenfold punishment to anyone who kills you. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain to warn anyone who might try to kill him. That's God's grace upon his judgment, his mercy. So Cain left the Lord's presence and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Man, envy will rob you of the presence of God. God, in the New Testament, God's grace, his presence is with us. But envy will suffocate 
the sense of God's presence in our lives. It dominates. You can't sleep at night. You're just seething with envy. So that's the condition we can end up with if we are not careful in recognizing envy and dealing with it when we feel it. So let's look at five antidotes to envy. You guys ready? We've described the monster, and now we're going to slay it. Number one, live gratefully. I'm going to tell you about Jesus Jr. today. Her name is Hope. And I say that because I told her what I was teaching on this week, and she goes, oh, I don't deal with that. And I said, what? I said, what? She goes, yeah. She said, no, I'm going to tell you. No, you did. You said, you said I'll tell you. You said, she said this. She's going to run up here. Listen, this is online and everything. She said, I have many issues, and I didn't say anything. Listen, young husbands, when your wife says that, just shut up. Don't go, hmm. She said, envy is just not one of them. She said, and I said, why? And she said this first point, because I've chosen to live gratefully. <laughs> Isn't that powerful? And it's true. I, I, I've, I've lived, I've, we've been married for 23 years. I just don't see her ang- uh, jealous and envious of other people's stuff. She's so focused on her own deal that she doesn't have time to worry about what's going on out there. Now, here's a list of her faults, though. I'm going to talk to you about these. <laughs> Don't do it. <laughs> Cut them off. Shut off. Shut off the microphone. Gratefulness is a lifesaver. At one point in my life, I was very frustrated because I did not see the progress that I hoped I'd seen by that time in my life. Anybody ever been there before? You're working toward a goal, you're working toward a project, you're working toward an end, and you are so far from it, and you're so frustrated. And then I'm looking at other guys and other women in my industry in particular, in the ministry, and, and my colleagues, and I found myself getting envious. I didn't realize it was envy. And it was, it was, it was sucking the life out of me. And it was, it was ruining the atmosphere in my marriage and in my home because of me, not because of my home, not because of my marriage, because of me, because I was allowing the frustration of the lack of fruitfulness in my life to dominate me. And so um, I had to do something. And so with my wife's encouragement, I took a two-day retreat and I went to um, a friend, let me use their, their home, and I sat and I got a blank piece of paper. Well, actually, for the first day, I just ate pizza and watched football because I was, I was avoiding the whole thing, right? And then the second day, about noon, I thought, I better get on the stick because i got to go home tomorrow. If I'm not a changed man, it's not going to be good for anybody. And so I got out a blank piece of paper, and I sat in a big, fat leather chair, and I said, and the, and, and the, and the, the thought of making a change gave me anxiety and the thought of me changing gave me anxiety because I can't change me and making a change is a whole nother animal and so I was stuck anybody ever been there before you just feel stuck well here's the best plan of action get a blank piece of paper a legal pad sit down in a chair and say what and be willing to hear anything 
and be ready to obey. And this is what he said to me. I had no idea what he was going to say to me. I was, I was, I was fearful what he was going to say to me. You know what he said to me? Let's start with thankfulness and go from there. He's so good. It changed my life. I started recognizing the smallest things in my life that were signs of the goodness of God. You see, when you got your eyes on what you don't have, you begin to despise what you do have. If you continually look at what you don't have rather than what you do have, you will remain discouraged, disappointed, and you will be defeated. Looking at what you are not rather than what you are, the devil will help you with that one. What you have not accomplished rather than what you have accomplished. So often, especially as we're pursuing Christ and with the devil on our heels, we're constantly comparing ourselves to Jesus and we're comparing ourselves to other people that are walking the same walk or in the same ministry or whatever it is. And, and we don't realize how far we've come. I was talking to a, a young man in our church recently and I said, man, you have come so far in the last five years. I've watched your walk. And he said, really? I don't feel that way. And he's like, I, I, I'm not good in this and I'm not good in this. And I said, okay, well, let me tell you where you were and where you are now. And it was such a word of encouragement for him that there's somebody that has seen his progress. I'm going to tell you something. If you're not doing this with your spouse, forget about it. If we're not doing this with our kids, because our kids screw up every day because they're kids. And, if, and, and, as, and as we, as human beings, are constantly seeing our own faults, and then we have those closest to us also seeing and telling us about our faults, rather than helping us see how far we have come. I like to say, I haven't arrived, but I left, <laughs> right? I loose the moorings, and I'm, I'm trying to get to where I'm going, and the most important thing in life isn't where you are, but in which direction you're headed. When you're, when you're looking at what God is not doing rather than what He is doing, you can get really frustrated with Him. Looking at what is not good about your job rather than what is good about your job. What is not good about your kids rather than what is good about your kids. What is not good about your church rather than what is good about your church. It's amazing how we can just be desperate for a a car. And you get, well, I don't care, a four wheels engine, that's all I need. And then after a little while... You start to despise it because you look over at that car and you look at that person's car and you look at what's... And you, it's like the, the very thing you were thanking God for with tears that you provided for me, we begin to despise. The spouse you gave to me, you begin to despise. The home you gave to us, yeah, but the lights don't work. Yeah, but this and yeah, but that. This is why the sin of comparison is a sin. The sin of comparison is brutal. It's because it despises the goodness of God in our lives. It takes our eyes off of Him. Cain could have been thankful for God's blessings on his crops. 
we can see clearly that he was blessed because that was where God's judgment landed, was on his crops. So it's amazing how we can, we can not see the goodness of God in our lives, family. He wasn't valuing what's right in his hands, what's right in his own fields. So often we take for granted the things, the goodness of God in our lives, and we don't see what's right in front of us. Cain needed to keep his attention on his relationship with God and get it right. That's what he needed to do. God was trying to help him. Saying, hey, 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 Cain, why are you angry? Talk to me. Come on, let's work this out. And if he would have seen God's correction as a gift, as a grace, as God's love, and worked it out, he and God would have been tighter than ever, and then he would have been more blessed. The sin of comparison is brutal. And listen, this is why I want to talk to you about that there are... There are um, People in our culture who are fueling purposely the fires of envy in us for personal profit. Advertisers, I'll talk to you about that in a minute. But I'll tell you the greatest purveyor of stoke and envy is social media. It is literally throwing gasoline on a fire. Nobody's posting pics of when they first get out of bed. Nobody. Nobody is posting videos of them fighting with their kids. I told you to clean up your room for the fifth. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I want to capture this. I told you. Post that. Nobody gets served divorce papers and say, whoa, whoa, whoa. I want to take a picture of this and post it. Today... Nobody takes pictures of their overdue bills and posts them. Nobody posts a picture of the pink slip. Nobody has a bumper sticker that says, my kid got expelled from such and such school. (laughs) Social media, for the most part, is a big, fat lie that we're telling the world. Of course, we like to post certain things, and we love our families, we love our kids, we love our food, we love all that kind of stuff, but it's, it's, it's true to a certain extent. But if we're going to do it, let's just be real about it and post the bad with the good. Now, that would be reality, and here's the truth. We always compare the worst of what we know about ourselves to the best assumptions we make about others. I had a family that's not in our church anymore. I wonder why. As the mother stopped me in the lobby, and for the 10th time she said, oh, I, I wish my daughter was like yours. And of course, her daughter has overheard this before here in the church. And I said, okay, and her husband was right there. I said, okay, listen, I want to tell you something straight up. You need to stop doing that. You're going to crush her spirit, and you're going to destroy your relationship with your daughter. And I said, let me tell you something going on with one of my other children right now. And I just flat out, I didn't use the name, and I got enough kids, you can't figure out which one it was. <laughs> if you had two, yeah, but not when you have six. And so it's safe. And I said, I said, so we just take what we can get, okay? This one's working out right now. And the husband stepped up and said, thank you for that. 
The sin of comparison is a disaster. I was talking to a, a guy this week and I said, it's so common for wives to compare their husband with the pastor or a team leader or a spiritual leader or, or some other man of God. Or so, because, you know, I mean, we stand up here and we're anointed by God to proclaim His Word and we're, we're, we're preaching truth. But my wife knows the whole story. Everybody's Olin Mills picture is just a big lie. Take a picture 30 seconds before they captured the one that is the keeper. It's a disaster. And no, we're not going out for ice cream after because you guys are demons. Oh, I've driven that van straight home. We were going out to Red Robin, but not now. That's reality. The results of comparison, it, it fosters discontent and distress. It suffocates our freedom. It leads to resentment and bitterness. It causes us to do things we wouldn't normally do. And it can spiral into depression. When I was knocking doors before I started this church, I was up here in this North County region, and I mean, I was knocking on doors up in a wealthier section. Everybody's got boats, everybody's got two or three cars, everybody's got the nice homes, and I found house after house after house after house said, we don't have time to go to church because we're, we got, you know, our mortgage is too big, and we're paying off the car and the boat, and we're both working full time, we got our kids in daycare, blah, 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 story, same story, over and over and over and over and over. It's keeping up with the Joneses, now it's keeping up with the Kardashians, right? That's why we have a FPU, Financial Peace University, to help people get their finances under control. And a lot of this has to do with the core values that you've got to maintain, obtain and maintain. And it's not keeping up with anybody else. It's living within your means and just being happy with what you have. This one wife told me one time, she figured out what was wrong with her marriage, a true story. She said, I married him because he was the best at the moment, but I'm waiting for Mr. Wright to come along. And he, and the pastor told her uh, that Mr. Wright's right in front of you, you know. Love the one you're with. And she said it, she couldn't believe that was in her head. And it completely changed her, her mentality. And she focused and she realized, you're the one. And then she shaped him into her image. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) Listen, I'm going to tell you something. The sooner you give that up, the better your marriage will be. You you do you, I do me. And then there's us. If the grass is greener on the other side of the fence, it might be a septic tank issue. (laughs) You... You don't, you don't know why their grass is greener. Maybe they fought through infidelity. And, and, and the question and the counseling became, why did you do that? I don't feel affirmed, validated. I get criticized all the time. And the woman at work finds me wonderful. And Okay, well, let's talk about that. And you work through something like that, or the wife feeling unprioritized by the husband, and then some guy... You know, she shares emotionally and they get into this, right? You work through that. And then, they, and then you have dinner with them and they're so kissy, kissy, lovey, lovey. And you think, why can't you be like that? Oh, you want me to commit adultery? And then we'll get there. 
I mean, you don't know. Everybody has a story. Every home has troubles. I've been pastoring for 30 years, and let me tell you something. I've had the holy privilege of people allowing me to see behind the curtain. And I've never met a perfect family. I've never seen a perfect marriage. And the best ones are the ones who have gone through hell and stayed together. If the grass is greener on the other side, maybe you just need to water your lawn. Every marriage deals with communication issues, sex issues, money issues, and in-law issues. Those are the four top. Everybody deals with parenting issues, a lack of respect, communication issues, don't like your friends, don't like your boyfriend, your girlfriend, my parents embarrass me. Yeah, but that's not going to stop because that's fun for us. Isolation issues, conflict and disciplining your children issues. We all deal with these things. Spender saver. So what is the antidote to the sin of comparison? Live generously. Instead of trying to get, give. Give compliments. Dear Lord, have mercy, husbands and wives. Compliment your spouse. See what is good about them and say it. Build them up. Encourage them. They already feel like a failure as a husband, a wife, a mom, and a dad, an employer, an employee. I mean, we're all just slugging it out. And the last thing we need is the person that's closest to us to be pointing out our faults. And certainly, you've got to work through some, some stuff. But the, the default position is to give compliments, speak encouragement, give your time, give your money, Give your talents. Give your, your belief in one another. Give, become a giver. Become a giver of life. Rather than getting all you can, can all you get and sit on the can. No, open that can up and just begin to be a blessing. I'm telling you, life gets larger when you become a giver. Anybody know a giver in your life? They're just, they just give. They give the shirt off your back. Give it. You say, oh, I like that. And they just give it to you. Anybody? Isn't that, aren't they the most beautiful people? It's just they live out of a, like a surplus, like a limitless surplus. And actually, it's biblical. The Bible says this, there's one who scatters yet increases more. See this? And there's one who withholds more than is right, but it leads to poverty. When you withhold affirmation, validation, encouragement, giving, compliments, you get smaller. The whole situation gets smaller. But as you give out, you get larger. The generous soul will be made rich, and he who waters will be watered himself. Live this way, and you will prove that what Jesus said is true And that is, you should remember the words of the Lord Jesus. It is more blessed to give than to receive. The word blessed there isn't the word virtuous. It's literally the word happy. Jesus said, you will be a happier human being if you live life giving than trying to get. This is one of the swords we're using to slay the giant. If you see somebody that has a position you want, You see a girl who's prettier than you are. You see a guy that has a nicer car, better position. You see somebody that is accomplishing something you wish you could accomplish. 
And if you feel that envy, operate in the opposite spirit and go up to them and say, man, that is a great, that's a nice car. That's awesome. Go up to, girls, go up to that other girl. I, I, I'm just saying, girls check each other out. I mean, they do. I mean, it's like they go up and down and up and down. I'm like, what's going on here? Well, they're checking to see if it's working. Those shoes work with that skirt. Those girls work with that blouse. The hairs, that makeup work with that. Well, that's working, right? And, and rather than being envious or jealous, you tell her, say, girl, that's working. Guys, I'm not talking about you talking to the girls. Husbands, I'm not talking about you. I don't know if I need to qualify this, but I will. I'm talking about girls, rather than getting catty, compliment. Okay, great. I'm glad I qualified because somebody was somewhere else with that whole thing until they just heard that and then the light bulb went on them. This leads into the third point. Do not live competitively. Boy, I tell you what, on the road, you know what I did on my two-week break? I found myself racing all over the place because, you know, when you're working, you got to get places. When you're not working, you really don't. But I still was. And I found myself getting envious because the guy, you know, got up farther in the line than me. I'm in this line, but there's three cars ahead on that one. I want to get over so I can get over there. And then he zooms up there, and he didn't let me in back there anyway. And all of a sudden, you're in this competition on the road. And I, and I was driving all over to L.A., and so there was a lot of competition going on on the road. And uh, as though there's actually a competition going on, by the way. Like, like the, and they get off, and you're like, well, I didn't even know them. And they're gone, and now, what was that all about? And so I said out loud, I said out loud in my car, John, it's not a competition. (laughs) And all of a sudden I went, oh, I thought, this is weird. And I had to say, I said it to myself the entire break. Then my 15-year-old Josiah was in the car. I said, Josiah, when you see me starting to speed and trying to jerk and jive, just say to me, Dad, it's not a competition. And he did it like three or four times. And I said, shut up. We do this with other people's clothes, other people's cars, other people's spouses, other people's houses, other people's possessions, attentions. And the advertising industry is making bank on this. After World War II, the advertising industry changed their entire philosophy. And I know this not only because I'm alive and I can see, but because one of our members used to be the president of the largest uh, business-to-business advertising firm here in San Diego. And we talked about the history of the advertising industry and the banking industry. And now he's the president of a bank. So he's up inside the belly of the beast, and he knows the motivations. After World War II, the advertising industry, especially after we had all the factories built and now we need to produce stuff, they changed their mode of operation from, from meeting our needs to meeting our greeds. And guess what? They changed the definition of our needs into our greeds. And they use our self-worth and our self-image to fuel that fire. I remember the first time I recognized this, I was watching TV and a commercial came on, and this guy's working out in the gym, right? And all of a sudden, over the loudspeaker, there's a 79 Chevy van with its lights on. And he... And, and, and so the camera starts looking at all these different people, and everybody's looking around, and you can see who it is, the guy, and he's like, I'm not even going to own that, right? And he's working out. 
because the way they described the van was it was just a junker in the parking lot. And in that atmosphere, he did not want to identify that he owned that van. And then they talked about the Lexus you could buy. And then the advertiser said, and we will drive it to your place of work and deliver it to you in front of all your colleagues. That was actually an offer. I thought, you guys are evil. And people actually pay for that. Maybe some of you in here. I don't know. If so, we can talk afterward and I will pray for you. They use envy to make us feel discontented and ignite a passion for possessions, positions, and power. Satan was the first false advertiser. Adam and Eve had it all. He had it all. They were 100% content until he aroused their interest in something, quote, better, and it ended up costing them everything. This is why Hollywood can be so damaging, especially the marriages. None of that's real. It's just not real. What's real is working it out and working it through. And being faithful for a lifetime. That's what's real. And it's hard. What Satan used and he's continued to use and the advertising industry uses. And by the way, the banks collaborated with the advertising industry. And they changed. And after, the, after this World War II, they changed um, our culture to be a debt-driven culture. We, di- we didn't used to do debt. And so the advertisers started turning our needs into greeds and telling us that your real need is to look cool, to look successful. That's why they change, that's why they change the fashions all the time. Like, I, I wish I had dug this out, but I have a picture of me and my brothers and my dad in the 70s, and we all have on elephant bells and psychedelic pants, right? And the striped shirts with the plaid pants and the platform shoes and the long hair. Back then it was nice. Why is that so ridiculous now? I wish I had the picture to show you. It's just ridiculous. Big, big belt, you know. And we're all so cool. And my dad said, peg legs are going to come back in style. And we went, ah! Dad, you're so out of touch. You don't even. He goes, no, it'll cycle back around because it has to cycle back around. So the advertise, so that the uh, clothing industry, the fashion industry, can keep making money, and they can only come up with so many different fashions. So you have to cycle around. So how do they do it? They get the prettiest and the most handsome, and they put them out there, and then they clothe them, and then we all say, oh, and then you fight against it and say, not me, and then you look like a dork, and your wife says, honey, please. And you fight against it, and then she leaves you. Okay, so, kidding. As my Sam, son Sam would say, Dad, you just took it too far. <laughs> First John two fifteen and 17 says this. Don't love the world's ways. Don't love the world's goods. Love the, world's, the love of the world squeezes out the love of the Father. Practically in everything that goes on in the world, wanting your own way, wanting everything for yourself, wanting to appear important, has nothing to do with the Father. It just isolates you from Him. The world and all its wanting, wanting, wanting is on the way out. But whoever does what God wants is set for eternity. 
You see, the reality is, because you feel inferior to the person you envy, envy is related to shame. And the advertising industry uses this. It's a real trap. And social media is a disaster when it comes to this. Number four, discovering what God has called you to do. And to be, do that. This is what you're going to be rewarded for anyway. Uh, I'm going to come to a close here. In, um, in my journal, I have a page. It's called Joy Stealers. Because when my joy gets depleted, I have to find out why. And so I wrote down five things. I'll tell you one. One of my joy stealers was uh, disappointment with the lack of progress. And so once I wrote those down, I asked the Lord for the answers the antidotes to these joy stealers, and this is one of the things he said to me, are you doing to the best of your ability what I've called you to do? Are you being faithful? Oh, if you can say yes to that, your peace immediately returns. But when we get our eyes on what somebody else is doing, we're not paying attention to ourselves. You know, Jesus restores Peter. He flat out blown it, denied even knowing Jesus, cursing And Jesus restores him. And the same moment he restored Peter back into his calling, Peter says, yeah, but what about John? And Jesus says, what if I let him remain until I return? And so then the story becomes that John wasn't going to die until Jesus came back. But John says, that's not what he said. Jesus said, you just pay attention to what I've called you to do, Peter. Are you being the unique person God created you to be, or are you trying to be someone else? And that leads us to our last point. Surround yourself with like-minded people, people who will support and hold to the values that are godly values. Look what the Bible says in Corinthians. Do not be fooled. Do not be fooled, which means we can be fooled. Bad friends will ruin good habits. Come back to your right way of thinking and stop sinning. Surround yourself with godly, grateful, content people. They're a joy to be around. They have a settled peace about what's important in their life. They're contagious. They won't make you feel bad about yourself. They will affirm your values. If you choose people that have worldly values, you're going to constantly be having to defend your value system constantly digging in your heels and trying not to lose who you are. If you have good friends around you that hold your value system, they will hold you accountable. And listen, accountability isn't away from things that will destroy you. They are to who you're called to be and what you're called to do. I remember Hope and I used to sit outside the home of somebody that was in our lives that we didn't choose. They're just in our lives. And this person's value system was so contrary to ours, very materialistic, very image-oriented. They had all the bling. And Hope and I just live simply. We uh, make pretty much just enough money to get by. And back then, we were barely getting by. But we were making it. And we were happy. We had each other. And we had a home. We had a car. We had one car. And uh, we were just making it. We were doing good. But this, this, this couple in our lives, they were very 
image conscious and they wanted stuff. And they would ask us questions that would make us feel bad about what we don't have. And so I remember we would sit outside of their house in our car and we would remind each other of our values. You remember that? We would read our mission statement before we entered their home so that we didn't lose ourselves comparing ourselves to them. And because of that, we've always lived within our means. Our yard is just a dirt lot. Nothing inside of our house matches. It's a bit embarrassing to have you all come up to our home, but we're not going into debt so that we look successful. And we will never get, oh, I better not say that. By God's grace, we will never have a pet pig. What and who do you have your eyes on? That is not where the Lord wants you to have your eyes or your heart. Satan is baiting you. And it's going to destroy your marriage. It's going to rob you of your peace and your contentment. It's going to ruin your relationship with your kids. Why can't you be more like him? Why can't you be more like your brother? You need to wipe, wipe your mouth. Throw those words as far from the east as from the west. What are you looking at? What are you desiring? Where's your heart? It's called envy. Are you coming to the Lord right now? And if envy is your giant right now, if it's not, it will, it will knock on your door, send crouches at your door wanting to control you. That's what the scripture says. And he said, you must dominate it. So this is between you and the Holy Spirit now. You need to ask him. Maybe the Lord's asking you that question. Just like he asked Cain, why are you angry? What are you looking at? Who are you comparing your spouse to? Who are you comparing your kids to? Who are you comparing yourself to? And ask the Lord what he wants you to do about it. Let's just come to the Holy Spirit right now. I believe this is a question that the Lord would have you ask Him right now. Ask the Holy Spirit this right where you are. Just say, Holy Spirit, what am I despising in my life right now that you have given to me? I'll ask him this, where are my eyes, Lord? What am I looking at that I shouldn't? Maybe it's pornography. That's envy. Envying something that is not yours that you want. And it causes you to despise your spouse. 
Where are your eyes? Where's your heart going? Who's it going after? Who are you coveting? What are you coveting? Now slay it right now by confessing it to the Lord. Bring it to Jesus. Come on, bring it to him. Call it what it is right there between you and the Lord. Say, that is sin, that's envy. And right now I confess it to you and I'm asking for your forgiveness and for your holiness to burn that thing out of my life. And now ask and say, Lord, give me the grace. Give me your grace. Ask him for it. Come on. Give me your grace, your empowerment to be freed from the snare. And right now, I'm slaying this giant. I'm putting my foot on its neck and I'm cutting its head off just like David did to Goliath calling you what you are. And now reclaim your marriage. Reclaim your relationship with your kids. Refocus the goodness on the goodness of God in your life. Look around you. Look at the good. Let's declare the goodness. 